0: I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. In episode 133 of the Food About Town podcast, Andrew Galarno from the Buffalo News joined me remotely from the Buffalo News newsroom to talk all about Buffalo food. Um, I grew up in Buffalo, as many of you know, and it was great to talk to Andrew about all different parts of Buffalo food, but we also talked about restaurant reviewing which is a big part of my history and uh, part of my genesis of being more engaged with different cultural foods and everything else. So this was really fun. I hope we get to talk more in the future and uh, we might have some other things going on in the pipeline. So keep an eye out for more in the future. And in the meantime, um, next week uh, there'll be another episode of the food about town podcast with uh, ian atwood from strange bird brewing which was very enjoyable and a little bit of a guest appearance at the end as well which was uh, really pleasant so um stay tuned we got some more interesting things coming up and hope you enjoyed this episode with andrew galerno from the buffalo news All right, we're here with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. Uh, recording remotely because my guest is in another city. Not a Rochester person, which I'm actually very excited about. Mystery guest, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: My name's Andrew Galarneau. I'm the food editor at the Buffalo News. I have the best job in Buffalo, New York. They give me a credit card and they say, go find the good stuff and tell us all about it.
0: <laughs> now that sounds pretty fantastic to me. Um, so just as a brief... Uh, brief introduction. I think you and I met in person once or twice. I think we met at a Nickel City Chef events, possibly, when you were judging, Could have been. which was a number of years ago. And um, that those were really special events. I remember having an amazing time at those. I don't know how many you went to.
1: I went to three or four. Uh, what Krista uh, Glennie Sachu had set up there uh, was Buffalo's own little Iron Chef knockoff, but real. Um real chefs, real time uh live audience. It was really a, a good way for a lot of the talents in the community to be showcased, which was the purpose of it. And she uh it, it sold out each show of, for eight seasons.
0: Yeah, and it was it was really special. I mean, it was a beautiful environment, and not only was not only is she a great steward um you know obviously not in buffalo right now but you know a great steward of the buffalo food scene but one of the most generous people i've run across in the you know food and beverage any anywhere around the food and beverage industry yeah
1: i'm i'm a big fan myself
0: <laughs> so uh i like the way you introduced yourself there with that this is just one of the best jobs that you can possibly have um it's a uh, spurt I was reading your Twitter account and your pinned post. I'm going to quote the, at least the first part. My job as the Buffalo News food editor is a public service that my employer has decided to invest in as part of its community coverage, namely an answer to that most human of questions: what's to eat. I mean, that's it is. It's certainly that, but um, the whole thread is you know talking about that privilege of serving the community which I really respect that, um, that mentality uh, when it comes to doing that job.
1: Well, um, I have only written about food for the last 12 years of 33 years of doing words for money. The the earlier I have, let's see, I've done municipal coverage. I've done cops, police, fire, like knocking on doors after Mm -hmm. people get murdered, uh, which is a thing journalists do. Um, I have, done court coverage where i had to sit through rape testimony i've done also i did investigative reporting for 10 years and um interfered with the activities of some people who were hurting the community in various places that's you know that's pretty serious journalism so uh it came as some relief to me after 20 years of that to be able to finally write about a subject that everyone loves
0: i have to imagine that would be quite the Um, quite the mindset change. Obviously, you're using the same kind of journalistic, um, journalistic, you know, skills that you've learned over many years to tackle the food scene. But I have to imagine it is kind of a uh, kind of a mindset change.
1: Well, um, it's one the the hardest, the biggest mindset change was being told that part of my job, uh, which eventually was included restaurant criticism, was for the first time, somebody wanted to pay me for my opinion. When I had spent the last 20 years getting the opinions beaten out of me uh, ritualistically by a series of city editors. Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> One memorable city editor, uh, Mike Moscardini of the St. Petersburg Times and the Pasco County Bureau once told me, it's not just that I don't care what your opinion is. I don't want you to embarrass us. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was, you know, that's, that's a serious, you know, sort of article of faith. It's, yeah. it's less so now, but the, the, the idea that you shouldn't be able to tell someone's opinion is, by what they are writing, used to be a tenet of a straightforward news journalism. So when I was asked to do criticism and give my opinions about things, it took a little bit. But for the other part of the job, I would say um, one of the things that allows me to write paragraphs about food that make people hungry is because I do the journalist work first. When I eat something and I'm like, holy shit, what was that? What happened there? I mean, what? Then I go find out. I go ask the chef, the cook, the whoever. I'm like, why is this different? Why is this better? Uh, What have you done? Because I I, I do a lot of cooking myself. Um, Part of my early cooking Sorry, my early uh, food writing included a monthly food column where I took an ingredient and made it three different ways and wrote a, a story about that. So I got, basically, I got four years of Buffalo News subsidized experimentation with any groceries I felt like buying.
0: One awesome. I mean, that's, that sounds super up my alley. I love that.
1: So I got to do so much cooking that a lot of times when I see something in a restaurant that's wrong, I can guess what happened or when something went right, I'm like, oh wow, that that's difficult. But listen, they landed that; they stuck the landing. That's ten out of ten.
0: I find that really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot back for a minute about restaurant criticism, um, because uh, that's where you and I do cross over a little bit. I I did that for three years uh, in the Rochester City newspaper. Um, Not on uh, how how frequently do you have a. Have uh, reviews up in the newspaper? Uh, once a week. Once a week. So I was doing, you know, once every other week was the most frequent I did. Um, and I, I always enjoyed the process. I, I, I love the fact that you're going back and talking to the chefs after and asking questions. Um, how do you personally choose the places that you're reviewing? And the, the reason I ask this is, you know, especially being in the newspaper of note in a community, the places you choose to review, that has a pretty large impact on the places that you choose to review. How how do you end up choosing those, um, not only in the past, but now?
1: Well, um, so when I started out, it was more a the world must be quantified approach. So I would go (laughs) to every place and figure out which of my baskets to file it away in. I was given a, a plate system to work with. Um, and told that anything below five plates wasn't worth mentioning. So really I was working from five to ten, and they didn't want to do half plates, which gives you six six baskets to sort the whole world into. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to include a range of places that uh, included places that we wanted to review to skip to warn people away from, uh, which was by far the most unpleasant part of my job. It's
0: a big challenge, isn't it?
1: Well, I, I, it I never enjoyed it. The... So during the pandemic, um, we right-sized things because I made the argument that we can't compare, we can place her out the window because we're, you know, I'm going to be reviewing places that are just hanging on, doing takeout, whatever they can, but the still, they're still producing food we want to tell the community about. And also, I switched, I switched the, the approach to less of, I'm just an umpire here to call balls and strikes, so if it wasn't good, it wasn't good. Uh, and more, war, the way I work now is, I'm if I'm going to review a restaurant, I'm here because I love it or I love something about it, and it's my job to convey what I'm feeling to the reader to help illuminate them and ask them and make make them understand to the best I can, to the extent possible that why it's really turning my turbines hmm. So that's different, and I, this is I think a much better way to operate. Um, Instead of saying I have, you know, because in the end, what they tell me they want is they want me to be uh, uh, somebody who holds up what is best in the community and helps people find the words of praise that it deserves. And I think that's a, that's a, that's, that's a role I can get behind uh, 100%. Yeah.
0: And I think it, it changes your mentality of how you're how you're choosing to review. My my favorite part about writing was when I could tell people about a place that they may have never heard of and that it made it made an impact to that restaurant.
1: Oh, that um, is that is the crack. That is the crack oh, it's that just, keeps you coming back. When you can lay something on some people's radar and they never heard of it and they're like, What? And you're like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then people check it out and they're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, uh, no, I mean that's,
0: it's, it's so. It, you're right. It's so. It's so addictive. And I, I recall going into a place after, you know, going into a place after I had written about it, and I, it was a small Turkish place, uh, where, you know, you know how common it is where almost every place that serves like a euro is just the standard cone bought from the factory. Um, this this is one of the few places that was actually making, you know. You know, force meat. You know, emulsified euro in house, and it was it was special. It was unique, and I, I mean, got to highlight the fact that somebody was doing that much effort. Yeah,
1: no, exactly.
0: You- I mean, how special is something like that? That you know, unless you're paying attention to the details, you're you're gonna everybody. A lot of people are gonna miss that, but the effort it takes to make something like that happen, it just blows my mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, w- w- I'm a I'm a, I'm a spotter. I'm a scout. I take. I take tips from people who I never met, who are my readers, and they say, you should check this place out. And I go check it out. And uh, my employer is uh, generous enough to work out my rules of engagement that if I go into a place, and even if it's supposed to be a nice place, and I don't like it, I don't have to write about it, and they still pay the bill. Oh, uh, I mean, one, that's that's fantastic. I mean, talk about because... a pressure valve, right? Yeah. Like I had there's been so many times, and I go in and I'm like, oh, I, I'm spending so much money, but it's not good. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna say? I mean, because here's the thing: I work in Buffalo, New York. I can't go around guillotining people. I can't go around jack the knife, ripping people. I mean, that's uh, it's not right for this community. No. And and so um, what I've switched to is, I think, the way to go, which is. I'm going to love a place. I'm going to tell you why I love it. And there we go. Those are the places I'm going to bring to you. My, my slate of restaurants tends to be tipped towards the, the little guys who are doing something good, but haven't been able to break through into, um, I don't know, call it cruise control success. Cruise control. That's not the right term because it, to keep a good restaurant going takes constant effort, constant attention, constant uh, a, a passion. Um, but there are places in town that no one has to worry about if they're going to survive. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I I'll, so I'll use a Rochester example. Um, since we were talking about uh, West Asian food, um, you know, there's a we have a Lebanese place in town uh, called Cedar. Um, I can go in any night of the week; they're almost always busy. And it's consistent or a Dominican place called uh, El Latino. You know, I go in on a Tuesday night and they're open and there's a line of 10 people at the door every night at 515 because everybody's going to get dinner. There's other Dominican places and other West Asian places, whether it be you know Syrian or whatever, that we have that people aren't going to at the same clip.
1: Those are the ones I want to talk about.
0: Everybody knows about the places that are that popular, you know.
1: That's what I. Try, that's where you, you ask me about how do I choose my list. I try to go for the non-obvious places. I'm always trying to expand people's horizons. Uh, well, if you like this, hey, did you know that there's this place over here that also you know does that kind of thing? Or here's a, a, a type of food I haven't seen anywhere else in this marketplace. Let me bring it to your attention. Um, you know, and just try to um, put dots on a map for people and give them. Reasons to think about their community in a different way.
0: Yeah, and I think, uh, how do, how, and it's, I think that's really interesting. And I'm assuming you still have to balance the balance the, and I'm going to use the terms upscale versus downscale, and that's not entirely fair terminology, but you know, higher priced restaurants versus more affordable restaurants, and maybe a better way of saying it. How how do you balance that with your interests?
1: I used to be held to a rule that I was told that if most of the things on a restaurant were less than $10, it was not for me because we used Mm. to have freelancers do what we used to call cheap eats, Yes, a term I always hated because it denigrates it. And for years, I had argued that we should be where the people are. And I'm not talking about McDonald's, you know, and whatever. I'm talking about um, the food that people eat. Now, in terms of what I do, in terms of a critic, there are many fewer. This is my opinion, and you can kill me if it's wrong. (laughs) There are many fewer percentage wise, remarkable, different, um, distinguishable efforts in fast food than there are in by their very nature. It's supposed to be basically mechanical food. You're supposed to be able to just knock it out. So I don't judge by price anymore. Now my, now my question is, are you doing something different that you can only get here? Um, is, it, is it possibly healthy? Is it fun? Is it, um, does it tie into larger culture? I mean, one example that I use, have you been to Lloyd Taco Factory?
0: I've not been to the factory. Actually, I I take that back. I think I went once. I've had the truck a few times when they were up here in Rochester, and I think once in Buffalo, but I'm very familiar.
1: So Lloyd is, I love Lloyd, and I wrote a review of Lloyd, even though almost nothing is $10, because they are making, they're doing scratch cooking, they're making their own tortillas, even though their tortillas are too small, and I will will die on this hill. (laughs) But um, they're just doing great work. And they are killing it, especially, which is weird, in the 4 to $7 vegetable side dish range. Mm. They always have like two or three, like an interesting little, little, you know, quinoa salad with mint and, and, and tomatoes and cucumber. Or, you know, just it's different. It's good. It's fresh. I'm eating my vegetables. You charge me five or six bucks for it, you know?
0: Well, it's a great t-
1: thing. Well, so few places are putting that sort of thought and that sort of uh, fresh presentation into small dollar packages.
0: I agree completely. And I think that's <laughs> it's an under that exact description is something I absolutely love. Uh, we have a we have a place here in town that does, you know, it's a it's a Smash burger place. But they make their own veggie burgers, which are delightful. But what they always have done well, and I think is one of the underwhelming under appreciated things it's a place called Swillburger or um the Playhouse is that they always had unique topped tater tots but they always had vegan options they always had vegetarian options and then they did seasonal salads for a price that was half as much as they probably should charge for it and they all had attention to detail the dressings actually were good they weren't bottled they were they made the dressings every time everything was good and that little attention to detail makes me want to go back it makes me think that they care about what they do
1: well yeah i mean and that's why uh, from a critical standpoint i pay attention to places like that that look if you've been to one wendy's you've literally been to the mall Mm -hmm. i'm here to fill in the gaps in your knowledge you know i'm here to go the places you wouldn't go necessarily i mean um well here's a case in point um I got a Facebook message from a woman I don't know who told me that some kids on the um, uh, Akron Indian Reservation uh, had started a biscuit trailer, but that somebody came and vandalized it and busted it all up. And I'm like, wow, what do you mean? And then I called out there and... Ryan add Who's the husband of the couple, uh, told me the story and I'm like, wow, but you're going to, you're going to power through it. And he's like, yeah, we're going to power through it. So I wrote a news story. So let me just back up a little bit. Oh, please. Uh, My job, um, is, uh, officially like 60%, uh, 65, 75% news and then there's the critical stuff. So the majority of what I do is writing different news stories. I write features. Uh, I write a news column every week. I write a feature most weeks, and I do the review in addition to other long-term projects I'm I'm working on. So when I had the conversation with the uh, biscuit fella, I'm like, wow, I never even heard of this. So I wrote a news story, and I'm like, you know what? I got to go see this guy. So I drive out there. It's actually not far from where I grew up in a little place called Indian Falls on Route 77 in Genesee County. And I was like, I got the biscuit, and I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) <laughs> I am in the middle of the snow in a muddy field in an Indian reservation and I'm eating this thing and I'm like, oh my God, the world, the world must know the world must know. And then I put on my hat and, you know, I took, pic- I took, I made sure I had good food pictures because if you can make people hungry, you can move their feet. And then I flogged it hard on social media. Uh, you know, the guy's running a restaurant on generator power. Oh, wow. How many times have you heard restaurant people complain about how complicated everything is? Well, throw in generator power <laughs> and cause they, they, they uh, you know, they won't run an electrical line that on the reservation during the Corona or whatever. Anyways. So I have, so six months now, these kids have been in business and their business has been picking up and people have been catching on to them and coming on and coming out there and being like, you know what? It's worth a 25 minute drive for these biscuits. Cause I can't get anything like this anyplace else. And I have a feature story that's going to be in uh, the next, not this Sunday, but the Sunday afterwards the Buffalo news, just showing that, you know, they are making it work and we are, we are as a community are better from their work and we can honor what they do. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It feeds the stomach and the soul.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the kind of story and it's, you know, it's it's not to it's not to revel in the pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality because that's toxic in its own way, but it's that sometimes sometimes you just have something in you that you need to get out. And when when somebody has that passion for whatever, you know, and you know, the fact that they decided on biscuits, great. And you wanted to make great biscuits, great. Like, but, and then you go and do it and you make it work and you make it awesome. And yes, the newsworthiness of, you know, an unfortunate story will, I'm sure, you know, help buoy the popularity of people going out to see them. But in the end, if it's good,
1: it's good. Well, right. A sad story or something can get you to go someplace once. It takes good food to bring you back.
0: Absolutely. So, what these guys are doing,
1: I mean, so what I do is I try to find the hardworking people who could use a little attention. You know, there are famous people in town who everything they do is carried on the waves of publicity. Anyways, they don't really need my. You know, they don't they don't need this spotlight that the audience you know uh, focused on them. People know where they are. They know what they yeah. do. And and so if I can be if I can use the attention spans of the audience as fertilizer. For up-and-coming worthy endeavors, I think everybody makes it.
0: Absolutely, and I think everybody everybody's better off for it too. You know, food's always it's it's always it's never just one thing. You know, it's it's learning it's learning about a culture. It's taking a time to open your horizons in general. It's respecting other people for doing something they care about. It's none of it's it's never just food. And I know there's lots of people who want, to, who want people just to talk about food. and It's, it's never just
1: food. Well, uh, the more I understand about how a modern restaurant works in New York State, the more I wonder how any of them are open at all. And <laughs> it's just it's so complicated and it's daunting and the margins so so thin. You can do everything right in, in a restaurant world in Buffalo, New York, and stock up for a big weekend of business and then it slows. And your cooler's full and nobody's coming in and, you know, your dishwasher can't make it because his car is stuck. And, you know, like this is what these people deal with. So it, that it runs seamlessly and you don't even notice the gears so many of the times it is like a little bit of a miracle. Yeah. And, 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 and it's part, I think it's part, really part of the, the, the surcharge that you pay for not cooking your own food. You're getting a, uh, this, this effortless presentation, you know, it's a little bit, a, a little bit of theater.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, theater is nice. And I think, I think in our second half, we'll talk about some of the, you know, some specific finer dining expressions right now, but before we go, before we go on our break, I'd like to talk, um, talk about some, you know, different, different backgrounded foods. We've been talking around a lot of places, but I guess I wanted to, highlight or learn about some of the pockets of cultural food in Buffalo that I might not be as familiar with. Um, you know, I know places here and there that I've learned about it through reading your reviews and reading other things, but my Buffalo food knowledge is a little bit limited. Um, what, what are some pockets of cultural food that has kind of really been that you've learned about that have been really interesting?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing you have to talk about in Buffalo is Burmese food. Okay. Um, Uh, Burmese refugees um, leaving what is now known as Myanmar uh, in great droves because of the civil war there, villages getting burned and things like that, and people fled for their lives. A lot of them spent um, many years in refugee camps in Thailand before they were resettled here by the federal government, uh, refugee program. And right now, the city of Buffalo is about 3% Burmese because of the numbers of, of resettlements and other Burmese that have came, come to the community here.
0: Really, that's that's an astonishing number.
1: It's you know it's a sizable number of people, and they have opened restaurants. Uh, from the first one was uh, Kevin Lin's uh, Sun Dining, which is one nine eight nine Niagara Street. You know, I've typed it a lot of times when I can recall the address off the top of my head, <laughs> um, and. There are probably 15 Burmese. They usually p- pair it up with Thai food. So Burmese food and Thai food, there's a lot of overlap, uh, but there's obviously very distinct dishes in each cuisine. because The countries are next to each other.
0: Would you say it's similar? I mean, uh, what I'm more familiar with is Laotian. We say it's kind of a similar crossover, not say it's the same crossover, but where there's some hybridization.
1: Well, since I'm not familiar with Laotian food, I cannot honestly answer that question. <laughs> But gotcha. let me just tell you the quick once over on the major classes of Burmese, food, at least as, as shown in Buffalo, New York. Um, salads. So thot, T-H-O-A-T is how they usually spell it. Of course, they're all transliterating it. Um, the, maybe the national dish of Burma is, is tea leaf salad. Thot. So the same leaves that other people might dry and then save and turn into a beverage by pouring hot water over it. They pick them while they're green and they ferment them like sauerkraut. It's a way to keep green vegetables over the non growing season, over the, you know, whatever the Burmese winter is. So they pickle it or no, they ferment it. And then, so the pephote tea leaf salad is a portion of that with like super crunchy add ons fried beans, fried little Chanadal peas, um, shredded cabbage uh chunks of tomato a diced tomato for juice and garlic oil and lime juice and peanuts sometimes they put little uh dried shrimp on the top i call them the raisins of the sea
0: <laughs> um,
1: and if you don't have the dried shrimp on it that is a completely vegan situation and it is one of most fun salads ever it's like the crunch riot and then the garlic oil and then the whole thing that Up is thin.
0: super exciting and so uh, that's, it makes me want to drive like as soon as possible to go get that.
1: So they also make uh, a one where instead of using the, the fermented uh, tea leaves, they shred fresh young ginger. Mm. Now, obviously that's going to be a little burny, right? That's going to be a, but if you love ginger, it's like, Oh, shnikes, ginger offered as a vegetable in a salad. Mm. Um, it's pretty intense. So another um, Burmese dish this is the one I call the gateway to Burmese food is, uh, Ono Kok So what that is, is coconut chicken noodle soup, uh, with crunchy noodles on top, chunks of dark meat, chicken, sliced hard boiled egg, uh, shaved red onion, cilantro. The broth is thickened a little bit with, uh, uh, bean powder. And so it's like a, like a creamy base, but it's not with cream. It's with just, uh, a bean powder and it's it's golden from turmeric. Mm. Sometimes you sometimes you're eating it and you find like whole braised shallots in the bottom, just just a bite of like braised shallot. And the noodles are fat egg noodles. So it's like this whole it's really comfort food and it's great.
0: Well, I think that's I think that's a great point in of itself is <laughs> I think a lot of people have a very limited window of what comfort food is. Um, my my comfort food has completely pivoted to comfort foods of the world because there's, you know, that dish you described, I've never tasted that. But with all those ingredients and the obvious attention to detail, you know, but thinking, hey, we don't thicken things with bean flour. No reason you can't. No reason you shouldn't. And it, there, there's so many homey ingredients in that dish. I can I can just picture... I can picture how rustic and how just how how comforting and rib-sticking it is, even though it's not like that. It's not that fatty a dish. Like I can, I can picture everything about it. It's it's makes so much sense.
1: So uh, another thing you see in Burmese food is they Burmese curries are not like Indian curries. Indian curries are relatively soupy. Uh, Burmese curries. There's usually just enough um, sauce that clings to the, the pieces of protein that have been braised. Um, and it's a dark, um, dank, sweet masala. It's sweet because they cook down onions and shallots and ginger. And so it's like, um, it's never spicy. It's just got a lot of, a lot of flavor in it. So they do, you know, pork belly, goat, chicken, the usual. And and one other dish that they always have, which is always interesting is a biryani. It's Burma, but they're making biryani. Obviously, mm-hmm. some cross-fertilization from India, which is on the other side of the country. Um, so you got basmati rice, super fragrant. They do a thing where they will, some of the places used to do it. I haven't seen it lately, but the original was apparently, you get like a clay pot, like screaming hot on the stove, and you dump a bunch of biryani in it. And the whole point is to get it to like toast and stick to the pot so you chip it off and it's crunchy. That's pretty baller.
0: Oh, it is. And it's again, I, I love I love the crossover. Because yes, you know, the you know, clay pot biryani cooking is kind of classic. Um, but I hadn't heard of it like that, which reminds me very much of you know, that alluring first time I had, you know, a dalsat Bibimbap, you know, with the with the rifling hot uh stone pot where you put the sesame oil and the rice and you get the crispy rice and how every every right thinking culture loves crispy toasted rice in a pot.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, 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 so I find, so I have been actively trying to get people to go to Burmese restaurants and the West side bazaar. So the West side bazaar in Buffalo is basically a food court run by um, immigrant and refugee families and some folks from Puerto Rico well, no, they're immigrants too. Okay, they're absolutely immigrants from. The, the, so it's it's these, it's like an immigrant food court. It's not open right now because of COVID, whatever. But has has been extremely popular, and they're actually moving into a bigger space on Niagara Street in like a year.
0: That's so, super exciting, by the way. I've I've only been in there once or twice, and to hear that it's expanding is very heartening because it seems like they've gotten great reception.
1: Well, um, so they're serving, you know, people in their own communities. You know, there's uh, I'm, I'm told that the next iteration is supposed to include a South Sudanese place to help awesome. us, to feed Sudanese people. And, you know, and the rest of us just get to horn in on it. I, I love that idea. You know, feed your people and hey, 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 give me some of what you're selling them.
0: And there's nothing quite like that. I mean, in, it's always a tough balance going in as... Not, not to speak for you, but going in, going in as a, uh, you know, as as a white man into all these places, and asking a lot of questions. Um, I I I love asking questions. I love learning about, you know, why why are you making this specific food? What about this food? You know, do you have you know, what about this dish? You know, evokes now not necessarily memories, but why do you love this? And I I love. Talking with people and getting to know why they do what they do, but it's a kind of a fraught, um, kind of a fraught thing to go in as, you know, as a white man and ask a lot of questions to these kind of
1: restaurants. Sometimes, well, I mean, sure, I mean, nobody likes any strangers coming up to them and pestering them, especially when they're working. This is one yeah. thing you learn as a restaurant person, uh, as a person who tries to talk to restaurant people. Don't try to talk to restaurant people between eleven a.m. and two p.m., at four p.m and say 830. Unless you really, really need to, because it's just rude. (laughs) But on on plenty of downtimes, I've I've spent time talking to people. And you know what? Some people from all backgrounds, all countries are so happy to talk about it. Whereas other people pretend not to speak English, and that's fine. Absolutely. You don't want to chat with me. You got your reasons. I know. But um, I have learned, I mean, that's, that's how I've learned so many of the things. Like, one of the things I have to nail down sometimes as a restaurant reviewer is um, I need to know if certain dishes. I always try to list things that are vegetarian and vegan, if possible, in every review. And sometimes, Which I appreciate, by the way. Well, I mean, I'm, I want to serve my audience. I want to be useful. I mean, all it takes is a line or two, usually, to tell people lots of vegan or yeah, maybe this isn't your cup of tea um but you know trying to get specific answers from people who don't primarily speak english now listen before i say anything further this is not a slam every person i talk to knows more languages than i do so i have Absolutely. nothing but respect so that is also the I, I am dogged when it's like is is there cream in here you know and they're like well what do you mean by cream and I'm like, sometimes i'm like can you show me the package of the thing you use and almost every time people are like oh sure Sure, they'll show me the packs. So I'm like, okay, cool. We good. You know, I just need I just need to be the, the the I need to do the work and get good accurate information from the source so I can present it to the audience. Cause otherwise I'm not I'm not doing my job. You yeah. know? If 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 they have to like do some research on their own to see if they can eat something, uh, my utility is uh, you know, lessened thereby.
0: Yeah. So let's let's talk and before before we before we go on to the break, because this is this is going into a lot of topics that I have a lot of opinions about. Um, so let's, let's chat about research and um, the challenge of writing about places where you don't know the cuisine that well. So I can say for myself as an intro to this is if I was reviewing a restaurant that I'm not super familiar with the cuisine – I tried to do a lot of research before I went in. Sometimes I consulted with people that I knew that knew the food better than me. And at least on one occasion, I dragged somebody along to help me learn about it on the fly and tell part of the story. Um, what, what's, what's your process for going into place? Obviously you've done, you know talked about Burmese food for a long time, but let's say you're going to a new cuisine that you haven't had before. H- how do you
1: approach that? Absolutely, best practices is take a native uh, when I went to <clears throat> do my first full-scale Yemeni review of Yemeni mm-hmm. cuisine, which I I didn't I didn't know the fine points of. I mean, I, I read everything. I read the Wikipedia articles. I Google. I read all the articles. I read all the recipes. I mean, but still, if you want to point at something in a plate and say, if, in Yemeni food, is that salta or fasa? You know, you want somebody next to you who's like, oh, no, no, that's salta, you know? So you don't have to. So there's no chance because the greatest shame would be, you know, just get just biffing it and getting something wrong. So absolutely. Um, I will take um, either natives or people who have been to that country whenever possible. And sometimes I have looked around quite a bit. In fact, there's a Turkish fella. Once I round him up, we're coming to Rochester and we're going to S. man, because
0: that's the place I was talking about. That's I what I wrote about.
1: It. I need somebody who can obla to know that I'm getting the good stuff and the right stuff. <laughs> so I show up there and wave at them and like, they're like, oh, sure, sure. And then, yeah, no, I need see so, so here's the thing. I take help. I re- actively recruit help. I want somebody who can talk to what we're doing here. Somebody, if I'm going to an, a restaurant that's been there for 20 years, I want to, I want to bring somebody who's eaten there for 17 years every advantage I can possibly get to be able to deliver actionable intelligence and insights to the audience.
0: Yeah. It's, I, I, I find it, it's, it's, it was one of the biggest challenges for me and I, I relished that part of it was trying to really learn about something to talk about it without. And something I try to proselytize about is it's really important to, not claim to be the arbiter of authenticity it's really important to try to you know describe without telling people some things you know it's that i relished that part of i really loved it you know trying to you know learn enough where i can tell you important information without you know talking down to you or being the arbiter of authenticity which i'm i'm neither
1: Yes. Well, the authenticity hand grenade in food writing is is real. And for sure, I don't I anytime I want to type out the word authentic, I look at it twice, three times. And then I'm like, do I really want to do this? Does it really what I know? <laughs> is it because I, I have to make sure that someone else is referring to it as authentic? Because, look, unless I've been to the country, which I haven't almost because I don't really get on a lot. You know, (laughs) what I do in my review is this reminds me of the Mexican food I had in Los Angeles. Or this reminds me of the favorite Thai food I ever had, which was at this little spot in Queens. Just to tell people these are the limitations of my knowledge. And I am going to give you my and the basis of my opinion. So I figure that is fair. You know, the, the utility in food writing isn't to say that something is delicious. It's to say why it's delicious in a way so that the person can taste it. I mean, that's where you make your money. Anybody can enthuse. Unless you can educate and help them see why they should bother, tickle them in a new way, I don't think your food writing has the power that it it could. If your food writing doesn't make someone hungry, you need another draft.
0: It's one of the... Greatest pleasures and one of the curses is that every time I have a conversation with somebody about food, <laughs> is if if they walk away and say, "God, I'm so hungry!" at the end of that conversation, I know I've done my job.
1: Absolutely.
0: Oh, just it makes me so happy. All right, so um, I think we're gonna take a brief break, and we'll be back with uh, part two with Andrew Gallarno from the Buffalo News. We'll be. Right back. This episode of the Food About Town podcast is brought to you by Curate. Curate is bringing dinner party experiences right to you, either with delivery or with pickup options at the historic German house. We send out customized pairings for every event. Our next one's coming up on June 23rd. And each meal is a mystery to the customer until you get the food. Uh, Each event is curated either by me or a guest person. And this is kind of a fun way to experience the different cuisines of Rochester uh, without going through all the effort of finding what's coming up. So check out our next event, again, June 23rd on a Wednesday. And you can order an event on curatemeals.com. Or check out some of our information on social media at Curate Meals. And feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Hopefully see you soon on Curate. And we're back from our brief break with Andrew Gallarno from the Buffalo News. What's your actual title there, Andrew?
1: I'm the food editor and restaurant critic.
0: Wow. I suppose that's apt. <laughs> well, I like it. <laughs> so um, we had a wide-ranging conversation on our break on topics we'll probably touch on another time. Uh, I think we we think a lot alike on many different topics, so uh, I'm excited to talk about those another time. But uh, what I did want to highlight was uh, before we dive into maybe more mechanics of doing the job is I wanted to talk about places that rise above. So we talked about, you know, specific cultural foods and you know, what you're most passionate about, but I kind of wanted to talk about places that in Buffalo have either risen above the level of this is a great local place that this would measure up against, you know, anywhere you try in the country of this kind of food. And obviously that's your experience. Um, the, the examples I use like here in Rochester are like, you know, flower city bread, like this is national level bread, national level pastry, uh, Joe bean coffee. You know, this is some of the best coffee I've had anywhere in the country. Um, and there's a couple places in Buffalo that I'm familiar with that I thought this was like, this is top of the category that I've tried. Uh, one of them being, um, Jay's artisan pizza, which I briefly brought up and you told me something I hadn't heard about the place.
1: Well, Jay sold it. Jay doesn't work there anymore, but the good news is the same people who have been making every pizza there for the last two years still own it. So they're same, same pizza makers. Just the ownership structure has changed.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's the kind of place that like, oh, this was, and, you know, I met Jay online when he was, you know, a crazy person talking all sorts of shit about all sorts of places. And that was like, okay, I know this guy. I know what he's about. I know his, I can tell his passion. And the nice thing is that, you know, his pizza always backed it up. And I'm assuming if it's still that good, it's it was really special level stuff.
1: Actually, um, if you go look at my review online, uh, <clears throat> I declared that uh, Jay's Detroit-style Red Top Spicy was my favorite pizza in the known universe, period. Time yeah. to take a stand.
0: And I loved the fact that he was it, – it, it's it's fascinating. Detroit-style pizza popped – in Rochester over the last year. And how many people are now, how many people, because there's three or four places here, like, Oh, I love this one versus this, this one versus that. Cause you know, Detroit style pizza is on trend right now.
1: Um, We should define it for people who don't know what Detroit style is.
0: Yes. So Detroit style pizza is a high hydration dough. um, Hopefully with some fermentation on it. Um, It's cooked in what's at least referred to as a blue steel pan in Detroit due to whatever apocryphal story was told about how the initial um, uh, pizzas were cooked in blue steel pans from the car factories or whatever.
1: And its distinguishing characteristic is that it's finished with cheese all the way to the edge and overflowing on the pan. So literally every bite of crust has got a frico, a cheese chip on it.
0: I was going to use the term Frico and say, you know, to to make an analogy to fine dining, you know, fancy presentation, Frico cheese.
1: <laughs> it's got a Frico on the Cornicione.
0: Oh, I love that term so much. <laughs> <laughs> it can be so pretentious if I use it the wrong way. <laughs> um, so the other place um, that I was going to talk about that, you know, I've only been like once or twice was... Um, I forget the whole title. It's it's like wax like bar barivan or something like that. That's right,
1: wax like barivan. Um, it is consistently the most creative, but also good, uh, menu in town. Honestly, um, it's they are pushing the envelope. So recently, um, I wrote about their um, speedy kohlrabi. So they took kohlrabi, (laughs) made it into batons, marinated it speedy style as of the Binghamton skewer, uh, and grilled it off and served it with sauce. I mean, I had, so when I was there for review, I had a dish that I completely, it's just, sometimes you eat something and you just realize that it's just blown away your frame of reference. Like it just blew a door off. I had uh, they served uh, I was farfali, I think with a ragu of beef and strawberries, and it was so good. I just I was like, ah, oh. you know, yeah. And that's the kind of that's the kind of experience you can get at Waxlight. Look, Waxlite is uh, a, a test pad. There's occasionally going to be things that you probably won't like, but a lot of the things are like three dollars, four dollars, six dollars. You know, you can you can get a, you can try a bunch of different stuff. You might not love it all, but the chances of you meeting a couple of dishes that make you change the way you look at what you're eating and being delicious, you know, it, none of the interesting ideas are any good if it tastes like ass,
0: <laughs> or yeah, even if I, it's lame. Yeah, one. I think it's. I think the the reason I bring it up is I, I recall you know, when I was more in tune with the Buffalo scene, um, you know, the the head chef, Ed Forster there, I recall going to one of his pop-ups at the grain silos when he was doing this, just what was one of the most inventive evenings of food I'd ever had, you know, presented so uniquely. And you know, in a way that this, this was his pure vision of what he could do with food at the time. Uh, and it was like amazing. And one of the transformative food experiences of my food writing and, uh, food experiencing. Um, but to combine, you know, some of that creativity with, you know, somebody as talented as, uh, is, uh, Tony, Tony reals still there as well. Tony
1: reals. Yes. First class cocktail magic. And, um, you know, also, uh, Jessica handles the wine and it is just a great, a great list by the glass, by the bottle. Um, really, a kind of place where if you can settle in and look at what they're doing there. And if you're in, if you're the kind of person who likes a meal that makes you want to talk about it, I think you need to go to Waxlight.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's hard to, it's hard to overstate how a place like that can change your mindset on, change your mindset on what your expectations really are. Um, it's, It's a place that's almost definitely undervalued for how special it is and how approachable it is and how much attention to detail that they do. Um, I was completely impressed a couple of times I'd went and I'm excited to go back now that I'm starting to venture out into the world again.
1: A couple of other places. Oh, please. So if like a lot of my, you know, when my friends show up, um, from out of town and I can only drag them to a few places and I want them to hit the high points. Um, you know, two other places that are doing what I would say outstanding work right now. Prescott's provisions, which is in a rehabilitated former automobile repair shop in the city of Tonawanda, right next to the Erie canal. Uh, but on the Erie County side, not across the river. um, is doing fantastic work. Vincent Thompson, a former chop house chef, has um, really stretched out there with dishes like uh, one of my favorite dishes. There is their uh, f- they've got a chicken sausage with a lot of fennel in it. It's a narrow gauge sausage, uh, and it comes in a coil and they grill it, so it's narrower, so it gets snappier. And then he serves it up over polenta with giardinaria, which is that diced Italian pickle, and get this. And you vinaigrette.
0: It, the dish makes complete sense. I $28. Mean, that's, right. And that's, I mean, you think about that. And that's, those are the kind of dishes that make you think a little bit like, how did you come up with something? How'd you come up with something like that? And then when you step through all the ingredients and all the food in there, how much it makes sense and how much balance you can do with something that it's kind of over the top in a lot of ways, but... Like, I I can picture the balance with the way you described that.
1: Another place uh, that should be on everyone's radar for special occasions because they book up is the Grange Community Kitchen in Hamburg. I was recently back there, and um, a very talented chef named Mike Thill, who used to run a late lamented place called 100 Acres, is back at the Grange, and they also have a woman who is doing some you know, just prep and other stuff for them, who is uh, a Thai cuisine wizard in her very own right. Ooh. Who's got her own pop-up. So the amount, oh, and the bakery program there. So the thing about the Grange is it absolutely slays all day. That's very unusual. They slay for breakfast with their house-made croissants and every other thing under the sun. Uh, They slay at lunch. I mean, sometimes they're smoking their own pastrami on their own rye bread with their own mustard, and they slay at dinner. It's very unusual to find a place that that kills it in all three phases, wouldn't you say?
0: Oh, I completely agree. And it's uh, the the trying to do that much often is the downfall of places. Places that try to overextend, <laughs> overextend beyond what their actual capabilities are, and to have a place that actually succeeds in all that is. Um, kind of revelatory and it's, it's fascinating. You bring up Mike Phil. I mean, um, we grew up in the same town, uh, Boston, New York. Um, so I, I knew his brother, you know, his brother was a year younger than me, a year or two younger than me. His, uh, sister was the same age as one of my other siblings and Mike was a little bit younger. And I remember him growing up coming to, coming to our family's greenhouse and sports card shop and spending time at his house when I was a kid with his brother. Um, (laughs) and to see what he's doing now is just you know uh you know how much how talented he is and i i had gotten the chance to go to 100 acres once and how that was a that was special in a place like that in that huge building to you know have something that unique in that yes. space he he's he's a huge talent uh, always impressed with the way he uh comports himself
1: Well, when I, I don't know, he may never talk to me again. When I reviewed him at hundred acres, I was very enthusiastic. And I, and my last line was something like, uh, at hundred acres, you get a license to fill. Oh boy. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) What? See, that's, but I work that way. I do No Dad puns is part of the shtick. No. And people who have put up with my reviews know that at the end, sometimes, sometimes you get a live one and sometimes it's a little bit of a stink bomb. But you know what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got to go out there and fall down the stairs with the pie every single time or people will stop reading me.
0: Oh, it's bad. So I do have to say about the Grange, um, since uh, I, I'll go home and help my parents with the uh, with their Christmas tree business uh, during the season. And after a long day of slinging trees, um, I had made the trip at least once per time I go home. And it's one of the few places that's open later in the area. And I swung by. And even though they were winding down, every time they took the time to make something for me and work with me and have a good cocktail program and have something that's like, oh, I remember food in Hamburg when I went to high school in Hamburg was just completely, there was nothing, it was nothing of interest. And to have somewhere like that in a town, in a town like Hamburg, be completely competent and excel in not only basics, but excitement as well. It's, it's a special place.
1: Oh yeah. Not just the basics. I mean, the pizza is excellent, but you can get good pizza. You can get good pizza in a few places, but I mean, uh, what was in there, man, I was in there and it was, so this is like early March, late February, and they had an on dive radicchio salad with um, organic grapefruit and orange segments from that Thorpe Springs up from Florida and they grapefruit. used, they used basil and mint leaves and a fish sauce, vinaigrette fish sauce and lime juice. I was just like, oh, I love you now. I love yeah. you now. I mean, it, it's just like, it's unexpected. It's fresh. It's exciting. Um, And you know, it was, it was what? $12. You know?
0: <laughs> right. Something like that, that excites you that much there there's so many bad ways we we all spend our money on food and to have something like that for you know that kind of price and makes you excited that that's that's it makes you want to talk it well, makes you want to tell people
1: grange is the kind of place where they do great versions of things that you thought you knew by heart yeah. and anyone i challenge anyone who has not had a uh, fresh freshly made hummus and bread made on the spot still warm and have it and not rethink what they thought they knew about hummus everybody it's... knows hummus you know they get the spackle in the grocery store well fresh hummus <laughs> is another story so i mean you but that's that is part of the attraction of a place like the grange where you can go in and for 12 dollars, rearrange what you thought you knew about something to eat
0: well and then and then just like in our first part of our conversation, you have something great there and it might've exposed you to, to hummus that you're interested in. And then you go to, then you go to the Syrian place. Then you go to the Lebanese place. Then you go learn more about it. And it just, just opens your eyes to so many different things.
1: I mean, that's how I started cooking. I went to restaurants and then was like, well, I'm too cheap to pay this often. I need to make this myself. I mean, and that's, that's, that's how I got into barbecue in the first place.
0: Mm let's talk, let's talk vegan food for a minute, Andrew. Okay, so I've been a converted vegan for the last over the last year. Uh Um, I've been 100% for over a year now. And I obviously revel in all the cultural foods. That's a great way of eating, you know, vegan, because that's how many people in the world eat. So you know, eating falafel, which were very nice to uh, provide me a recommendation to What turned out to be a great falafel ball at, uh, was it Falafel Bar on Sheridan? Correct. That was really, really fantastic. I loved that. Um, Are there any, like, vegan-specific restaurants in town that I should be looking for?
1: So, um, there are two places that I know of that, no, three places? So, there's the, um, there's one called Big Mood on Elmwood. Um, which I reviewed under its prior name. Uh, and there's one called Sunshine Vegan Eats on Jefferson Avenue. These are both what I would describe as vegan fast food. Okay. There's a lot of things that um, aren't you know aren't aren't chicken nuggets and aren't burgers and aren't cheese sticks.
0: a lot of substitutes.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I've enjoyed the the chicken nuggets. They use sure. jackfruit at uh, Big Mood. Um, and so those those are vegan. But the good thing about vegan food today is that almost any restaurant has got a couple of good vegan dishes just right off the bat. So um, I'm going to, you know, Cafe 59 on Allen Street. They have... They're in the heart of like, you know, the Elmwood Village, Allen District. So they've been feeding vegans for a long time. They do something in there I've never seen before. Actually, I said in my review, I I think more people should steal this idea. (laughs) They make polenta wings. They actually just take polenta, slice it up, fry it up, and then toss it in wing sauce. And you know what? It's pretty good. I mean, you know, you're not going to mistake it for chicken, but as a replacement, as it's something else that's fried and tasty, oh, it's good. Yeah. You know, and it's cornmeal.
0: I mean, generally fried things in uh, buffalo sauce are delicious. Uh, I've, you know, I've had really great, you know, cauliflower wings when you actually get a nice hunk of cauliflower and you cook it that way. You get a little texture. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, so, I grew up, I grew up in town. Yeah, of course. I love
1: that stuff. So, you know, vegan food. Um, you've got your Lebanese, you've got your Chinese. um why
0: don't you take a second and talk about, and this is completely pivoting off of vegan because um, something that I've read a lot about over the last few years is the density of home homestyle Chinese restaurants. Can you talk about that for a few minutes?
1: Um, I would like to write a thesis on that. <laughs> um, one of the upsides to, there's been a large uh, recruitment campaign by the State University of New York at Buffalo to recruit Chinese nationals to come to UB. They set up a whole Confucius Institute. They did a whole bunch of stuff. And they got a lot of Chinese nationals to come here for the professional schools like medical, dental, but also engineering and lots of other things. And as a proximate result of that, um, places that started, places started popping up that served the type of Chinese who Chinese people want which is not the American Chinese, which tends to run towards deep fried sugar bombs. So, and the reason I'm telling you this is, I'm, I mean, I, I was interviewing these operators and saying like, so uh, what's up? And half of the restaurants, there was like six of them now at least, including a dedicated uh, hot pot karaoke venue called Little Lamb on Sheridan awesome. Drive. I um, I mean, Because I had, a couple of them at least were restaurant operators that opened a restaurant in Buffalo because their child was going to UB and that's, they came there to be part of the situation. That's how a place called Peking Quick One got started, which is on Somerville in Tonawanda. And then the lady who opened that one, sold it, took care of her kid's kid for a couple of years until she was old enough for daycare. And then she went and opened up a place called home taste on Delaware Avenue in Kenmore. When I walked in, I had got this report from one of my spotters. There was like, (laughs) you're not going to believe what's going on in in Kenmore. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And they sent me the menu. And I'm like, when can we be there? (laughs) And what was, um,
0: before you do say that, what was, what was the thing that you saw in there that was like, I got to go now.
1: Well, he had, you know he, he, took, he took a picture of the menu, and he sent it to me, and there were about 20 things I had never heard of. And I'm like, <laughs> it is on like Donkey yes. Kong. Yes. And then what I do when I see something like that is I arrange for a table of people. Six to eight is usually good. And we fill the table with things we never heard of before, and we see what we think. And I walked into the restaurant. My friends were there. I walk in, and it's the woman who started the first restaurant. She's like, oh! Because... <laughs> here's a real story. So the first time I realized that Peking quick one, the first one wasn't just another uh, $5 uh, pork fried rice joint was I walk in, I'm waiting for, somebody had asked me to pick up an order of general sauce chicken, which I did. And then I'm waiting to check out. And I noticed she's handing this other menu. That's all in Chinese to some of the Chinese cats. And I'm like, hang on, hang on. What's that? And she's like, Oh, no English. And I'm like, you don't have <laughs> this in English anywhere. She goes, well, I have one copy. And I convinced her to trust me with it. And I left and I came back the next day. I ran off a hundred copies. And I'm like, <laughs> you need to hand this out to make clear to people what else you've got going on here. And what we're talking about, um, this is like a celery with beef. Um, uh, mala pork, mm-hmm. um, A lot of egg dishes, you know, um, some, you know, a lot of Chinese home cooking and they're just making omelets with different things. Um, it was, you know, it was just this education and I spent, and I got to spend enough time talking to her where she could point out, you know, the fine points to me. Anyways, what's my point here? There's some, there's so many Chinese restaurants because there's so many Chinese people. I actually, uh, and we were starting to see some of the regional ones too. Some Sichuan stuff. Yeah. Xinjiang. So I, you know, I need to make, you know, you have you have motivated me to put a new article on my article to do list. I need to do an update, updated Chinese guide because there's a lot of Chinese food and a lot of it's very good. But and no, there are no soup dumplings. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I think I saw somebody somebody come up here to try at our uh, our new dumpling a uh, dumpling place in Henrietta. I
1: forget yeah. if that
0: was you or if that was somebody
1: else. It's been a bunch of people. I actually drove up and I ordered all the dumplings at your dumpling place in Henrietta. Yeah. Dumpling house. I believe. Yeah. It's called. Yeah. Did you see me write about it? I did. I didn't actually. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> write about it because it wasn't good.
0: Uh, now, it's too again. bad because I, I went when it first opened. Well, here's and... the
1: thing. Here's the thing. Especially in Chinese restaurants, you got to understand how it works. Some of those cats are only there by the week. Yeah. So things can change quite rapidly depending on the quality of the labor that the owner has in this week. So uh, I never write off a Chinese place. It can turn on a dime, you know? Um, another time during the pandemic, I had spotted what appeared to be allegedly a Malaysian restaurant in Rochester.
0: There is Cocoa Garden. Yep.
1: Well, I don't know what happened, but when I got there, the guy, the bag of food that guy handed me, was in no way Malaysian food. It was oh. like something that was looked like it had been cooked by somebody who had Malaysian food described to them once, and not elaborately.
0: Yeah, and I, I probably was the one that told you about that. Place. No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. But see, this is the this is this is the life we have chosen. No, it's, we have to it's go wrestling. find. We got to go see. You got to go see. Oh, for sure. You always have to go,
0: and that's but, it's it, it, it's. I I think it's a great point because I've, I've been to many places that were recommended of all different shapes and sizes and prices and cuisines. And I've had people, you know, extol the virtues. And then I'm like, I don't see it. And then sometimes you're right. I've, I've also gone back to places and you see, sometimes it was an off day or some days it was, you know, a different chef cooking or whatever. It's, it's part, it is part of the challenge of doing what we do as well is Understanding that sometimes things aren't right that
1: day. Um, well, so well, that's part of the reason when I do review, you know, I show up anonymously. Nobody knows I'm coming. A lot, if you recognize me, great. You recognize me. But what are you going to do? You're not going to yeah. run out and buy a better piece of fish than what's in your cooler. You know, the chef's not going to be like, let's throw out the menu. I've got a more genius sauce to make, you know, because somebody else walked in the door. No, all you can do is put their best foot forward. Right. You know, and and that's fine. And But what I do is after, after you know, after a couple days, give them a call, say, hey, we're going to do a review. Let's set up photography. And then I talk to them about what's going on. There have been times when I decided, oh, I am not going to write this review now because of things that were coming or things that weren't happening. And sometimes you get, you know, you learn about some different things that are going on. Um, one time I went to a good restaurant and... Um, It was kind of disorganized, but then later I found out that the headline cook was in the ER because he had cut himself real bad. No, actually a pot blew up and had (laughs) covered this, like he had to go to the ER. And so everything was just, I mean, so yeah, obviously you wouldn't want to share that account of evening with anybody. I mean, I don't know. It's, you try to do the maximum amount of, of actionable intel and the least amount of harm.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great way of going about it. Um but one I'm super excited to uh hear more about the, you know, what is Chinese cuisine in Buffalo right now. Uh, I one of the things I've tried to learn more about during the pandemic times is uh I tried to learn more about um regional Chinese. I'm, my knowledge is still very limited, but I started watching um a YouTube show from a couple in um uh, in China and they talk about you know, these specific dishes from regions, you know, and they'll talk about, you know, you know, Hunan and Guizhou and, you know, Sichuan versus this. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is
1: fascinating. I, I'm learning a lot. So, okay. So um, there's, a, I'll talk about a couple of dishes you can get in Buffalo right now. Um, if you Google carp in the shape of a squirrel or fish in the shape of a squirrel, mm-hmm. it's a Chinese dish. And it was invented like a thousand years ago for some emperor's banquet. And what it is, is a whole fish prep um, with a lot of cleaver cuts that when it fries, it gets kind of, it arches its back and it kind of, if you Google fish in the shape of a squirrel.
0: That is fascinating.
1: You can get that in Tonawanda. Wow. My wife
0: would love
1: that. If you order it, Two week, you have to order it two weeks ahead of time. Of and course. this is And this is when it was dine-in. But the chef would get the right type of fish to come up on the truck from the city, and they would make it for it. They made it for me. Um, they, another specialty at this particular restaurant, this is House of Gourmet, is the name of the restaurant in Tonawanda I'm talking about. It's on Sheridan. Um, they make a dish called tea-smoked duck, mm. which is a classic from China. It is. I have never seen it any place around here. They show up, they're making it. It's delicious. I'm like, I feel so happy to be able to just tell the community that, you know what? You can just walk down the street and you can get some thousand-year-old dish with flavors that people have been working on, you know, for longer than this country's been around. And you know what? It's pretty damn good. And you can get, you know, 15 bucks.
0: Yeah. And those kind of things, it's... You you end up going down the rabbit hole, and going down the rabbit hole is my favorite thing to do with food.
1: Oh yeah, there's another place um, called that's just north of the. Well, actually, it's on Niagara Falls Boulevard in Amherst, and basically it's Xianjing, Jing. I'm not sure I'm saying this right. It's it's a very lamb centric cuisine. Like it's the only Chinese restaurant I've ever seen where you can get a whole roast leg of lamb. Yeah. And and I I
0: think, yeah, the, there, uh, for anybody who reads about food on the national or New York city, I think it's uh Tian famous foods is the place that people are most familiar with. It's like, you know, pulled noodles with, you know, chili oil, lamb kind of stuff.
1: And this, you know, these people had like three or four dishes I've never seen before, including, um, have you ever seen bread used in a stir fry? I, I've
0: done it at home because I had leftover bread, but I don't think I've ever seen it in a oh, restaurant. They, they,
1: this is, they, so this is, I guess a thing from the cuisine is they they fr- they fry up, they make a particular bread and they slice it for it to be fried up in a stir fry. I mean, think about that stir fried croutons, Chinese style with like lamb and stuff like that. That sounds amazing. So, um, any, okay. One more place I'll just tell you about. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, So, Home Taste. Home Taste is named Home Taste because it's where the Chinese kids go. And it's this little place on Delaware Avenue in Kenmore. And when school was in session, it was filled every night with groups of Chinese kids. And they have like 300 dishes on the menu. Um, Cumin lamb is one you cannot miss. They've got four. They have a whole stretch of cold salads. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, tofu, no tofu skin and celery. Um, they've got a thousand year egg, tofu, cucumber, chili. They've got um, the shredded potato uh, that's stir fried a little bit and then with vinegar and chili. So that, that texture of potato where it's not raw, but it's not cooked fully. It's just it's terrific. But here's the thing. These are northern Chinese specialists. So in northern China is more uh, wheat and potatoes than it is rice. So these people do their, all their own dough work. So they make all their own wrappers for their dumplings, but furthermore, they stretch out their own noodles for xingjiang noodle soup, which is Mm. a vinegary pork broth with hand-pulled noodles. And they also make an interesting thick style of scallion pancake, not the thin crispy fried one, but like a thicker, it comes out almost like a, like a low, I don't know, just like a thick flatbread. Anyways, they do dough work they've also got stuff on their menu that I haven't seen anyplace else. Like if you're looking for uh pig's feet and fish bladder as a stew, I mean, they'll hook you up. Um, I, I, they have stuff that I'm not necessarily that into. It turns out kidney has got a texture that I don't really enjoy eating a lot of.
0: Yeah. That it's an odd crunch.
1: Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's
0: one of those, I've had it a few times where I liked it. Um, but you know, it's, there, There's, there's a few, there was a few awful meats that if you can get away from the texture and enjoy it for what it is, you know, I, I was never a huge, like, tripe fan, but, you know, if I went to a Szechuan place and I had the, it's many different names, but, you know, it'd be like the, you know, tongue and tripe cold Szechuan mala dressing on top with black vinegar, you know, it's one of those dishes that's like, oh, this is, this makes sense. Um, but I've also had tripe at times where it was a bit uh, uh, overwhelming.
1: (laughs) And then there's, so also uh, uh, home taste is the only place around that you can get fish dumplings, fish and leek dumplings instead of, instead of meat, instead of pork or whatever. One last place called miss hot cafe, which serves the damnedest dish of pickles, fish and donuts I ever had.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's, it sounds like it's like if you're stereotyping you know the random pregnancy cravings in a sitcom you would I, say fish donuts and pickles or something like that
1: I mean you understand as a food writer I sit down at a restaurant they serve me a dish it's you've ever seen those long Chinese crawlers mm-hmm. sometimes they serve them with like uh, soy milk or or uh, you get it with uh, that rice porridge
0: yep I've had them in uh, in Chinatown uh, Chinese bakeries before
1: well and so this dish is Pickled mustard green, white fish, and like a light white garlicky sauce. So it's tangy from the pickles, nice white fish, lots of garlic, and then bring in donuts for Duncan. These crawlers, yeah. right? You know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And so when I tell people, have you ever, do you ever think that it, I would, I would tell people before I took them literally in there, I bet you I can get you to eat donuts, fish, and pickles, and they'd be like, <laughs> oh, gross. And then later on, it's like, yeah, score. <laughs>
0: Oh, and it's just, those kind of, those kind of things too. Those, those, those always made my day. And like, we're just going to order a bunch of stuff. If you're willing to experience this, like you're going to have a, you're going to have a fun experience and hopefully you're going to, hopefully you're going to walk away having learned something, but also just loving, loving, having done it. Love of the the game, man.
1: (laughs) I mean, every time I walk into a place and meet a new cuisine, it's like opening a door to another country. I mean, it, it, it makes me want to, it makes me want to travel. Now I'm going to get sad because I really I haven't know. traveled.
0: I know I I'm, I'm finally looking and you know, I think we're going to do, I think we're going to wrap up because we could go for hours and hours. Um, so um, before we wrap up, Andrew, can you tell people again, where to find you both on, uh, on social media and you know, how to read your, how do you read your columns?
1: Sure. Um, Well, if you want to read my columns, probably you would Google my last name and the name of a restaurant, in quotes, if you're looking to come up with a restaurant review. Um, Everything that I do is published on buffalonews.com. I apologize in advance for the website. I didn't make it myself, but my words are all there. The search function actually does work. It, for a couple of years, it didn't, but now you can actually search for things on buffalonews.com and find them. If you can't find them, send me an email at A-G-A-L-A-R-N-E-A-U at buffnews, dot com. Cause why on God's earth would you give us the right email address? And, um, (laughs) I am very findable on Facebook. I'm on Instagram at Buffalo food, also Twitter at Buffalo food. I consider taking questions and comments and trying to find things for people and trying to help people figure out if there's any X in, you know, Y County. That's my job. That's what I love to do. Many times I learn things from the questions. So I always encourage them.
0: No, and I've always appreciated your availability. And from everybody I know who's, you know, tried to get in contact with you to learn something, the, that uh, receptive nature is uh, definitely appreciated from my side. And as somebody who's a sporadic Buffalo uh, attendee, even though I'm a, even though I'm a native, it's, um, I've learned a lot from reading your reviews and I would definitely recommend people to read Andrew's reviews. And if you like them, you know subscribe to the subscribe to the uh, buffalo news
1: and if, if you hate them and if you hate them send me a note and tell me everything i'm doing wrong <laughs> no i <laughs> i sure fairly, nobody's I, ever done that i almost never don't learn something absolutely
0: well mr guarno this was a pleasure I appreciate the conversation and i really hope we can do it again um, so uh, if you learned anything try to go to some of the places we mentioned Uh, There's a lot of amazing food in Buffalo, so um, if you're here in Rochester, make the very short drive to Buffalo for a day trip, and you will get a really fun and different experience than you do in Rochester. Um, Both towns have fascinating and interesting foods, but, you know, make the effort to try something we don't have here, and if you have questions, pester Mr. Galarno on social media. Bring it on. Thanks so much for your time, man. Have a good night. See you.